Hello everybody, how you doing? I hope very, very well. Sorry it's been a little while, but sometimes you have to spend a little bit more time on the word and you know, sometimes life gets in the way whether you want it to or not, right? Well, today I want to go back a few weeks to something that the Lord showed me and uh, you know, there's a song, I hate to start it off on a secular note, but there's an old song by Genesis that calls, that's called, There Must Be Some Misunderstanding. You may be familiar with it. Well, I'm, I'm borrowing that line more or less because this really is the basis. I really can't think of a better title for what the Lord wants to show us that he's shown me, and I will hopefully communicate it well to you, so I pray to the Holy Spirit that my that my ineptness will not get in the way and that he will be able to articulate this to you and open your minds and hearts in a way that you can understand directly from him which is what he needs to do to me so I hope the same thing I have no reason to say God's not partial so what he does for me and other people he'll do for you and what he does for you he'll do for me amen the Lord let me see recently, a few weeks ago, not even that long maybe, through two different means that there is a gap, <laughs> that's putting it lightly, a breach in the wall of spiritual essential knowledge between what he has revealed to us in his word and what is believed by some and even proclaimed by some or, or more by many inside and outside the body of Christ his church our brothers and sisters it is fundamental to our faith it's elementary to our salvation it's essential to our transformation and our ongoing sanctification and we can't even truly say we have new or any life in Christ without it. There clearly is a misunderstanding due to false teaching, unbiblical knowledge, uh, a willingness not to want to, com to comprehend it and live according to it. So either we pretend to be Christians and that satisfies us, we continue to walk in ignorance unaware of our condition or we're being led to the slaughter by not the good shepherd by hired hands by fat pastors by false prophets by any other means other than Christ what led me to this just prior to this at first I was at work and uh, a young co-worker who I used to teach in church for a short time a few years ago was relating to me what he thought was just an incidental or casual, unimportant event or transaction, I guess you could say, between him and his little sister, although she's a teenager now. And in this short exchange because we're at work and we're doing things we love to be able to talk about it more but you know you can't you got work to do um 
while we had this short conversation, you know, I, I saw and heard a spiritual red flag. Not me, but the Lord rang those bells inside my heart. And the Spirit of God was lovingly, of course, but also firmly beginning to make him aware through my words, but his words, his truth, you know, we're friends, we've known each other a long time, of the spiritual danger involved in what he thought was just a little matter that he didn't even think was a spiritual matter. And he's not alone. And in this same short span of time, as we were discussing this, he calmly and politely expressed his perception, and he was right to do so, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember his exact words, but he said we can still exercise our free will, or isn't that is my understanding is that we can still, you know, exercise our free will? And I was and I explained to him, but not me, the spirit, that absolutely we do. We got, you know, our our volition, our free will has not been stripped from us as Christians, but rather at the core of our trust in Christ, that we've placed our trust in Christ, at the core of that oath that we've taken, at the core of that submission that we've undergone, and in, in, in the transformation and the and the being born again, at the core of all that, our relationship with Jesus, okay, that that that's not been stripped from us, and it, it our trust in Christ Jesus as our Savior and King is that we now use that same free will to submit our will to his perfect and holy will. I hope that makes sense because it's it's vitally important. It's a it's a it's a how can I say it's a it's implicit in our in our becoming Christians, in our salvation. It's part of it. The second instance, a couple of days later, or maybe even the next day, was my reading some of a blog written by a guy who probably truly believes he's a genuine Christian. And I don't say that lightly. But he reveals his ignorance or misunderstanding of Scripture and Almighty God's character by saying at least three things that were like fiery darts from the enemy. First, the shocking and very disturbing title of this article, and I'm sure he means it, but he also means it to be shocking, okay? He says, the title says, Since grace is free, yes, you can just go sin all you want. Whoa, 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 whoa. And a key word in that is want. And the reason I say that is because if we still want to sin, enough so that we ponder it and do it, then we have not undergone repentance at any level. We have not undergone a baptism, at least not a true baptism, or a life-changing, transformational second birth. That's just... Very fundamental, very basic, but very important. And it's very telling in his opening paragraph. It says, 
he says, quote, I hold to radical, outrageous, shocking, scandalous, limitless grace. I believe there is no other kind of grace. Un end quote. Now, his adjectives are correctly used, because if he truly believes this, he is radical, he is outrageous and shocking and scandalous, but he's also very, very wrong. Boy, is he wrong. And he's devoting himself to sharing this viewpoint with others. He might mean well, but he's not yet an honorable vessel fit for the master's use. Instead, he might be a, a tool, a dishonorable vessel, with a darkened mind being blinded and used by Satan. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't point fingers, but to say that grace is a, is, is a license to sin is scandalous. It is scandalous, but not in the way he says it. And I did read the whole article, so I did make sure I was getting the right take on what he was saying. And I pray, and you should too, that he and others like him don't get this twisted upside down and everything else, because that's just that's just not right. If you take God's grace and say that gives me the right to keep on sinning, that's the same argument that Paul used. As a matter of fact, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The guy says, he says, although grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and he mentions Titus 2.12 which is right then he says grace also allows you to go sin all you want if that's really what you want and at first when I read that I thought oh good and he said if that's really what you want and I thought he was going to springboard into the fact that you shouldn't be really wanting that but he didn't he didn't say that he also wrongly explain Paul's comment on this in Romans 6 1 see Paul was saying a very similar thing that we are saying but not what this guy is saying but he you can tell by the way Paul's writing this that he the crowd that he's addressing or the room of people that he's addressing he could tell this was going to be their their comeback and just like this guy's you know and so so he said, what shall we say then, Paul says? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Which is basically what this guy's argument is. Now, according to this guy's wrongful understanding and subsequent teaching, yes, but the very next verse, Romans 6, verse 2, Paul answers his own question, his theoretical question to the people in the room. He says, by no means. And then he says, how can one who died to sin still live in it? Paul understood. And I read another article by a sister in the Lord, and she was, this was great. She writes, quote, to desire to continue in sin shows a misunderstanding of this abundant grace and a contempt for Jesus' sacrifice. And this is so true. I'm so glad she said that. Now, we've seen evidence of wrong belief, right? 
So what's the right belief? Well, the correct understanding is that if the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin, which he will, that's part of his job, we are to acknowledge that sin, not make an excuse for it or justify it or blame somebody else or rationalize it, but we're supposed to confess it, own up to it, admit it, then of course <laughs> be sorry for it. If there is no remorse or contrition, then we will continue in our sin. We will be dead in our trespasses like we were and still are. And ultimately, ultimately, we will spend eternity in hell. But if we're genuinely sorry, we will not just say sorry. We'll actually stop whatever it is we say we're sorry for. Proverbs, I want you to get this. You might want to scribble it down or commit it to memory. Proverbs 28.13 and this is so key. Um, I found out recently that there was a, a billboard in town that you could pay $20 a day and have things um, uh, every seven seconds rotate with some other things like birthday announcements or businesses or something like that. And, I, and I've done it when the Lord has given me a little extra money. And so I did it for a couple of days because at the time that's all I could afford. But I think it was very important. You're driving down the highway and who knows how many people are going to see it. It's only on one side. But then again, I mean... People are going to see it. And what does Isaiah 55, 10, 11 says? It says, just like the drops of water go to the earth and water the ground and they, they return to me as a mist and I can use them all over again. Okay, they don't return to me void. He says, so shall my word be that I send forth. It's going to accomplish that which I intend for it, purpose for it to do. So that's something I rely on heavily. When Satan is trying to tell me, oh, whatever you're sharing with somebody is wrong, whether it's person to person, friend to friend, somebody shares it with me, I'm sharing it with you, you know, he's going to make you feel like, oh, only three people are going to see it. Of course, it's not about numbers. It's about people really getting it and living according to it, believing it, receiving it. But the thing is that I can go back to that promise and say, whatever God sends forth his word, whether it's directly from his mouth into your heart, through my mouth, or from your mouth to somebody else's, whatever it is. It's going to accomplish that which he sets out for it to do. So, in Proverbs 28.13, it totally nails it. <laughs> it totally nails it. And I'm so glad it's in the Word and that the Lord led me to it. It says clearly, and this is stuck in my mind now, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But, he who confesses and forsakes them will find or will obtain mercy. That's so excellent because people are going to say, even if they don't have much scriptural background or knowledge, they're going to say, okay, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Okay, that means if I do something wrong and I don't tell somebody or own up to it or I lie about it, you know, I'm not going to prosper. Okay, that's kind of a no-brainer, but that's good to hear and good to say, especially for the consciences that are steered. Then he says, but he who confesses them, doesn't say he, he who confesses them will find mercy. No. That's part of what it says, and this is a big part, okay? It says, he who confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. That means you can't keep sinning and keep saying sorry, because if you're really sorry, even if you can't help yourself, you're going to ask God to give you the grace to stop doing it, give you the desire to stop doing it. 
and you will stop doing it because it is his will. And he says, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So it's so good. Whoever conceals his transgressions or his sins or his iniquities will not prosper. But he who confesses, but not only confesses, he who forsakes or gives them up or stops doing them will obtain mercy if he wants it, if he seeks after it. So once we stop it, we will not continue in it, but rather turn from it. Repent is the word, and turn to Jesus. We'll turn from our sin and to Jesus. We'll turn from serving ourselves to serving Jesus, the very one who willingly died, shed his blood, and rose from death to overcome sin, not just to pardon it, but to overcome it. This power, this grace, is for us to walk in newness of life, not to continue in the old way of life. What he offers, this grace in the form of forgiveness of our sins, is what he offers us so we can be forever cleansed of our guilt and spend eternity in heaven not in the lake of fire we can have joy and peace not torment and if i have this grace to be cleansed of my sin and jesus was crucified because of my sin and yours and the world's how how can i continue to do it? How can I continue to walk in it? This is what Paul said when we met, mentioned earlier. He said, by no means. That means no way. You know, it means grace is there for forgiveness of sins, not so we can continue to walk in them, but so that we can be cleansed of them and turn to Jesus and walk away from sin and be dead to sin and walk in the righteousness that he gave us when we, when we submitted ourselves to him and trusted our eternal souls to him. This is what it's all about. Grace is not just to say, oh, no big deal. Don't worry about it. I got it covered. Grace is like, no, don't ever do this again. We got to understand that, okay? And this is why the man who totally misunderstands and totally wrongfully proclaims this foreign and unbiblical stance concerning grace Really, he, he needs to put down his pen or unplug his computer or turn off his microphone, put tape over his mouth. And I don't say that facetiously. I'm just trying to cover my ground here. Think of it this way. If you commit a crime, you get arrested. You spend the night in jail or longer. <clears throat> you go to trial and you're found guilty. And the judge shows you mercy. That's not going to happen. But if he does, by paying your fine and your bail, and he sternly, sternly warns you once he does concerning your crime and tells you not to do it again, okay, he's doing it not to just pay your fine and say, go back out and do it all over again. I'll see you next week when you get busted again. No, he's saying, 
I'm going to, you are guilty, but in mercy, I am going to pay your fine, pay your bail, and I'm going to, and I'm going to let you go. This is what was meant in John chapter 8, verse 11, the woman at the well. No, 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 excuse me. It was the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus didn't just embarrass the Pharisees and, and the scribes that were ready to stone her, which, by the way, was the thing that the Old Testament had told them to do. And it was right, because God set forth his law that way. He said, let the first one of you who hasn't, ca who hasn't sinned, <laughs> you throw the first stone. And they dropped their stones and walked away. But he just didn't say, okay, see, you're not the only one. I got you covered. Go ahead, sweetie. Now, what did he say? He said, go and sin no more. And he, okay, so the judge that pays your fine, shows you mercy, sternly warns you, go, but sin no more, is what he's saying. So he, he covers your crime, so to speak, and he sends you on your way. Now, this is grace. <laughs> this is grace. But grace is there to extend you something you don't deserve in order that you might flip out in gratitude and conviction of what you've done wrong and stop doing it and start following after the truth. Who is, got a name by the way, his name is Jesus Christ. Okay, so the judge shows you this grace. So do you in response continue to Walk in your life of crime after he sets you free? As Paul said, by no means. Okay, another version says, of course not. And another version says, God forbid. The grace, brothers and sisters, of the Almighty is an astounding thing. Without it, we would not receive mercy, only justice. And based on the evidence, which is our sin and our guilt, even perfect justice would have to hand down the appropriate sentence, right? The Bible teaches, teaches us that there is only one, one of two outcomes, life and death. Old Testament says also blessings and curses. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So, we're found guilty. The wages, or the consequence, or the result, is death. But thanks be to God that he's not only just, he's also merciful. In fact, James 2.13 tells us, Mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> it's this grace that saves our eternal souls. And this is the basis of the new covenant that Jesus has made with us. Now a covenant is an agreement, but more than that, it's an oath. It's a binding vow. Okay? It's almost like a legal document. It's that weighty. Now on the cross, he takes our sin and we, if we submit to him, and follow after him and make him Lord, we get his righteousness. Whoa! 
He takes our sin and we get his righteousness? Yes. That's why it's good news. He takes our punishment and dies, gives his life for us, and we surrender our lives to him. We give our lives for him. Of course, we're not saving him from anything because he's perfect. He's sinless. He's blameless. But this is the, tr the transaction. We die to sin, brothers and sisters. We don't keep sinning and say, praise God for your abundant grace. No, we show him we love him and that we understand and cherish that grace. We die to sin and we live for him. He is our master and we are his servants. To receive by grace a pardon of our sins and our sinful nature itself and continue to sin all we want, as this gentleman says, because of the fallacy that grace will cover it. It's to trample on the Lord, to spit on the cross, to pour salt in his already bloody wounds. And it's clear evidence. It really just is. It's clear evidence that we were eager to accept the blessing that comes along with being saved. But we never intended to follow through with our end of the bargain, our end of the treaty, our end of the covenant. Not only is this a horrible and evil, quite frankly, thing to do with and to another human being, but to your God and Creator and Redeemer, frankly, it's arrogant. It's arrogant. It's rebellious. It's lawless. And it's wicked. It really is. Absolutely. Those are not superfluous words. Those are not effervescent words that are, you know, they're not embellishments. Okay? Let's not be afraid to call it what it is. So let us, in love, earnestly pray to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit to show my co-worker, the man who wrote the blog, and others who are misled, the truth, the correct understanding in response to the grace that is available and has been shown and given to us. Amen? Amen! Yes! Okay? Grace is not a license to sin. It covers our sins. It can cover our sin. But it's not a license to keep on sinning. Sin is an abomination to God. Our sins, the Bible says, is what have separated us from our God, which is the very definition of death, not just physically, but spiritually. Since we're born in sin, we start dying the minute we're born, right? We don't get younger and younger and more vibrant and vibrant. We get progressively weaker until one day we die of something. Grace will cover our sins, but only to the extent that we're willing to walk away from those sins and show it. Not just confess it, but to do it, to forsake our sins. Then we'll find that mercy we talked about in Proverbs 28. Please don't let anybody tell you 
otherwise, whether it be your own flesh, whether it be somebody you know, whether they call themselves a Christian or not, whether it be a pastor, a prophet, an evangelist, or the devil, or anybody, grace only covers sin so that you will turn from that sin and turn to God and follow him and make him, what he already is, master of the universe, personal master over your life. It's not a license to sin. By no means is what Paul says. God bless you.